Let's just pray. Father, thank you so much that uh, you came in the form of Jesus and you enabled prayer ministry, ministry in all its forms. And uh, thank you so much for Emmy, for the wealth of wisdom and experience that resides in her. We pray as she shares with us this afternoon, uh, we receive bits of your wisdom, of uh, your heart, your love, not only for us, but for all those we encounter and engage. So, Father, we pray through this afternoon you would inspire and release us as you train us through Emmy. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We press pray. Yep. Great. Thank you. Well, really great to be with you. Um, I thought I might start just by explaining uh, how I got involved with prayer. Enabling prayer. Good, good, good uh, title. Um, being a nurse, uh, we had a visit from this man called John Mimber. Has anyone heard of John Mimber? Put up your hand. So half of you have, half of you haven't. John Wimber um, used to be the drummer in The Righteous Brothers. He was an atheist. He became a Christian. And immediately he got terribly excited when he read the Gospels. And he went to Bible school. And whenever he read about Jesus teaching the disciples to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and to preach the kingdom, he said to his um, uh, you know, tutors, when do we get to do this? And the tutor said, oh, we only um, read about it in the Bible. We don't do it. And Wimber was absolutely convinced that today, as Jesus' disciples, we should all be following what Jesus told us to do, which is to preach the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. So he started his own church. And the first day he started his church, he had 11 words of knowledge. The first was for a woman with breast cancer who was about to go into hospital the next day to have her breast removed. And um, he prayed for all 11, and all 11 people were healed. The, the husband actually felt the lump disappear as they prayed for um, her breast. So that started him on this amazing journey of, of teaching about healing. And so he was invited to Holy Trinity in 1982, before most of you were born, um, to uh, teach uh, a little bit about the healing uh, gift. Because in 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, as you know, there are a list of spiritual gifts of which healing is one. I wasn't there on the first night, but on the first night he had a word of knowledge that there was someone in the room who was barren and that God wanted to heal her. And this girl came forward. Uh, she was interviewed briefly by Wimber and told him that she had a medical condition whereby she could never have a child. And all he did was ask if he could lay hands on her. Always good to do that. And then he just commanded blessing and healing over her womb in the name of Jesus. Amen. And that was a short prayer. That was it. Nine months later, she had her first baby, went on to have four more. So that started us on this incredible journey. That was the Monday night. Tuesday night, he spoke in our church hall. So there were a lot of us there. I was a very young Christian at the time. I sat at the back row, um, minding my own business. And on that occasion, John Member, having talked about this wonderful gift of healing, then had his first word of knowledge, which that was that there were 10 people in the room with athlete's foot. Now, nine people stood. And in the front row, somebody called Nicky Gumbel was sitting. Um, if you don't know who he is, he's the vicar of our church. And he was wearing his pinstripe suit, and his wife, Pippa, was beside him and knew that he had athlete's foot. 
So when he wouldn't stand, she started to dig him in the ribs, saying, the tenth person is you, Nicky. And eventually he stood, he said, to get away from her elbow. And um, when they came to pray for him, uh, they said, can we pray for your athlete's foot? And he was so proud about his athlete's foot. He actually went, no, I quite like it, especially when it itches. So they said, well, what can we pray for? And his reply was, um, I need the power of, of God's spirit in my life. So they started to pray, and uh, when Nicky tells the story, he, he, he's very funny. He says, I think they only had just come out off the ministry school because they had only three words, which were, more power, Lord. And he ended up on the floor, and as the power of God was surging through his body, he said at some stage, the power was so intense, he started to cry out, no more power, Lord. And um, Wimber actually instructed those praying for him to carry him out into the gardens. And as he was carried out through the French doors, um, John Wimber said, that man has been given the gift of telling others about Jesus. And of course, the rest is all history as regards how the Alpha Course has developed. So my, my experience that night was that he had then, and this is why words of knowledge are so important to release people to come for prayer. He had... Um, about 11 or 12 words for people who had back complaints. And the final word was that there was someone in the room who'd fallen from a height onto stony ground. Now, I did not have a husband to dig me in the ribs and say, that's you, but I had had quite a serious horse riding accident the year before. So I went forward for prayer. And um, when the team came up to me and said, are you responding to a word of knowledge? I said, yes. What I actually wanted was this gift of healing, because that's what Wimber had been teaching on. But I didn't know God could do more than one thing at a time. So the team were very sweet. They said, look, we'll just ask the Holy Spirit to come. You know, don't worry. So they encouraged me to close my eyes, which I did. They asked permission to lay hands on my back where the damage had been. And I said, that was great. And as they prayed, I experienced three things. Um, I have to just explain, by the way, I did Alpha before there was a weekend away. So although I'd been a Christian for two years, I hadn't experienced the Holy Spirit at that point. So when they said, come Holy Spirit, it was May, but not hot. And I felt this incredible heat going through my body. I then began to sway as if I was, you know, in the wind. Um, but the most important thing of all when they prayed was that I felt that God opened a channel between my brain and my heart and poured his love into my heart. And then they prayed. And I, I do believe I, I received the gift of healing at the same time because I have prayed for and seen many, many people healed. So that started me on my journey, and that experience actually was really the start of my Christian life. There's no doubt about it. Until we experience the power of God's Spirit, our lives are pretty dull. But the moment we experience the Spirit, then our lives take off. And I have always loved to pray for others, because... Although I tell you that experience, if I could tell you many, many more experiences, you would know that every time I've had an infilling of the Holy Spirit... Well, I'll tell you one more. In 94, um, we call it the Toronto Blessing. I don't actually like calling it the Toronto Blessing. I like talking about the power of God's Spirit. Um, I, I got prayed for at that time. And um, I have once heard a worship leader called Keith Green say that he was bananas about Jesus. And I thought, how can anyone be bananas about Jesus? But basically, as I experienced the love of God, um, I went completely bananas for Jesus. 
And at the time, I just said, Lord, here I am. I don't mind where you send me or where I go. And then three months later, Nicky Gumbel rings me up and says, um, there's a person in prison in, in Exeter and his girlfriend's doing Alpha here. They want to hear about the Alpha course in the prison. Um, and I've said that you'll go down and, and take a team. And I said, Nikki, I work in a women's prison, which was Holloway in London. I've never been into a men's prison. I can't possibly go into a men's prison. And Nikki said, oh, just talk to the chaplain. He's really nice. So I did, and I went down. And as I stood in that prison chapel amongst these seriously naughty boys, um, I remember just in my mind thinking, okay, Lord, I said, here I am. I don't mind where you send me or where I go. Okay, this is where you've sent me. And you know... I just love it, and now I just know it's where I'm meant to be, and that's what I do now. I travel around the world, prisons, you name it, any country I've been to, and it's absolutely brilliant. So I know the importance of being filled with God's Spirit, and that's why prayer ministry and enablers, as you are, um, is absolutely vital, because you never know who is going to receive and be set on fire. There's, there was a Pensacola revival it was called the Brownsville Revival. And there was a pastor who came to HDB, was prayed for by Sandy Miller, went back to Brownsville, and it started this amazing uh, revival in Pensacola that went on for quite some time. I went, I went to it, actually I visited it. It's absolutely extraordinary. So just laying hands on someone and saying, come, Holy Spirit, think what God could do. But that's why we all have to know who we are in Christ. And I'm going to spend a little bit about our identity. Um, there are many different definitions of prayer ministry. And you'll probably find your own. But this is one uh, you could follow, which is, it's meeting the needs of others with the love, compassion, and authority Jesus has given each of us. And I always say when we're teaching people about prayer ministry that um, it doesn't stop with us. We are signposts. If someone comes to me, I mean, this morning, I was just explaining when I arrived that someone came and said, my marriage is finished, and um, basically, what are you going to do about it? And I looked at her and I thought, well, I can't do anything, actually. So people come to us, but we're signposts saying Jesus this way. And if ever someone starts to rely on you for the ministry of God's Spirit then they've got it wrong and you've got it wrong because then you start to get proud that, you know, they're coming back to me every time because they think I've got something. We've got nothing. So we're always signposting to Jesus. And the secret of prayer ministry is not skill or obedience, sorry, skill or experience, but obedience. So people might have been doing this for years and seen virtually nothing happen and then someone comes off Alpha brand new, excited about their new faith. They pray for someone and they're healed straight away. That's because they've been told to pray and they're just following what God has told them to do. So our identity, who we are in Christ, is utterly foundational for praying for others. Uh, understanding who we are in Christ gives us a strong foundation to build our lives on. And knowing who we are in Jesus is the key to a successful Christian life ourselves and a life lived with purpose. The more we agree with God about our identity and who we are in Christ, the more our behavior will reflect our God-given identity. And it's God's opinion that counts, not ours. So 
That's why the word of God is absolutely essential in learning to pray for others. I, when I first started to pray for others, I always prayed with my pastors, who were called Jeremy and Millie Jennings, and I was always so impressed. They knew straight away where to find a scripture. And I thought, I'll never, ever be like that. But the more you learn the word of God, the more you get into the word of God, the more you yourself will be able to open up um, and share scriptures with others. We need to learn to see ourselves as God sees us. The enemy is always on a rant to tell us we're no good, we've never been any good, that you know probably things you were told at school, you'll never be good at math, so guess what, you're not good at math because you've always been told you're never going to be good at it. But if we rely on the lies of the enemy rather than on truth of what God tells us, then we aren't going to be able to help people we're praying for by showing them the truth. Our identity doesn't depend on something we do or have done. Our true identity is who God says we are. Prayer ministry. Um, So if someone does come to you and says, um, I'm being bullied, let's say it's a teenager at school, I'm being bullied, and um, people just say horrible things about me, Well, first of all, you need to show them uh, the importance of forgiving because most prayer ministry starts with repentance and forgiveness. But then show them who they are in Christ. Say, look, this is how you have to believe who you are. Because if you know who you are in Christ, then as people tell you these terrible things, then you, you, you know, it can just, it can fall away. It can fall away. So I'm going to just read out some scriptures. You probably won't have time to even keep up with them, but I can send Tim, if you like, the um, document. Um, because every one of these is true about you. And as I read them out, I want you just to receive them yourself. Because then you'll just be able to accept what Jesus says. So in 1 John 3, 3, um, he says, I am, you are loved. Ephesians 1.6, I am accepted. John 1.12, I am a child of God. John 15.14, I am Jesus' friend. Ephesians 2.5, I am alive with Christ. Romans 8.17, I am a joint heir with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. 1 Corinthians 6.17, I am united with God and one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 6.19, I am a temple of God. His spirit and his life lives in me. 1 Corinthians 12.27, I am a member of Christ's body. Ephesians 1.1, I am a saint. Turn to someone and say, you're a saint. Yeah? Yeah. That's not bad, is it? We're saints. We're saints. Um, Colossians 1.14, I am redeemed and forgiven. Colossians 2.10, I am complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Romans 8.1, I am free from condemnation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I am a new creation because I am in Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16, I have the mind of Christ. Colossians 3.12, I am chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. 2 Corinthians 1.21, I am established, anointed and sealed by God. 2 Timothy 1.7, I do not have a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. You'll be surprised how often you need that scripture. 
2 Corinthians 6.1, I am God's co-worker. Ephesians 2.10, I am God's workmanship, created in Christ unto good works. Ephesians 2.6, I am seated in heavenly places with Christ. That's quite difficult to get your head around. You're seated here in St. Dionysus' upper hall, but actually you are seated in Christ, in heavenly places. Awesome. Awesome. He's given you all authority, all power. You're seated in him. Next time you sit in a chair, say, I am seated in Christ. Get that into your heart and into your spirit. Ephesians 2.18, I have direct access to God. Ephesians 1.17, I have received the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus, the eyes of my understanding being enlightened. John 15.16, I am chosen to bear fruit. 1 Peter 2.5, I am one of God's living stones being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. 2 Peter 1.4, I have been given exceedingly great and precious promises by God by which I share his nature. Philippians 4.19, I have no lack for my God supplies all of my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Hebrews 13.5, I can always know the presence of God because he never leaves me. Philippians 2.13, God works in me to help me to do the things he wants me to do. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus. You're getting it? I mean, I've got quite a few more, but I'll probably stop there. You can actually do a word search yourself on identity in Christ and be amazed at the scriptures that there are there. So we have to help people to choose to believe what God says about us, not what we have been told or what or the lies that we've been listening to. To live a really effective Christian life, you need to know and believe who you are in Christ. And the more you know who you are, the more your behavior will reflect your true identity, as I've said. A friend of mine um, grew up in a home. He was the third out of four children. And for some reason, his parents just always, always hated him, abused him, kicked him down the stairs, um, told him he wasn't wanted, they never did want him, um, etc. And he used to climb into his toy box, pull the lid over his head and just hide. And at the age of 11, he started to drink. At the age of 13, he started to take drugs. And then God wonderfully saved him um, one evening. Um, He came off all his alcohol addiction and all his drugs in one short prayer, giving his life to Christ. God was so kind, he didn't go through any cold turkey. He was actually living in a rubbish skip at the time. He was six stone in weight and had hair down to his waist with just the clothes he was standing up in. He was registered with five GPs. So one prayer of salvation brought him through and out of addiction. And he has, do you remember the old audio tapes we used to listen to? Are you all too young for audio tapes? You remember those? So he does a lot of prison work with me. So he has a a tape that he's taken out of the whatever. And he he scrunches it up in here and he starts to pull out the tape saying, you know, this is what I've been listening to all my life. You're no good. You'll never be any good, blah, blah, blah. Um, But he said, and then you have to break the line. He breaks the tape and then he starts talking about who he is now in Christ. And he's got um, 
tattoos all over his body, but he's had tattooed across his shoulder blades in huge letters the word forgiven. And he was walking along a beach in Cyprus a few years ago, and someone said to him, what are you forgiven for, mate? And his reply was, how long have you got? <laughs> but I love that one prayer of salvation, and that guy didn't have to go through any cold turkey. And the next morning, his, his Christian friend said to him, right, you need to earn an honest job now, because all he'd done was steal and, you know, just to feed his habit. So one prayer. Isn't God awesome? You're allowed to get excited. Um, and healing through the scriptures, it's absolutely obvious that right the way through the whole Bible, there is evidence. In Exodus 15, 26, uh, we read, I am the Lord who heals you. And one example in the Old Testament is the healing of Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman, as you may know, was the commander of the army of the king of Aram, and he had the skin disease, leprosy. And he did not fully trust in God. But God told Naaman to dip himself into the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman unwillingly did what God had told him to do. He dipped himself in the Jordan seven times and his skin was healed. And it became as soft as a young boy's skin. And after this, surprise, surprise, Naaman trusted in God. (laughs) And he came to believe that there was one, only one true God. Then um, in Psalm 107, we read this, verse 19. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them. Note, he sent forth his word. I know of a lady who um, had a horrible accident in Zimbabwe. Um, She was knocked off her feet by um, an army truck, and broke both her legs badly, and, but the worst thing was she had a very severe uh, head injury. And they took her to hospital, and she was put on a life support machine, and the doctors said you will, to the relatives, she will not survive. Um, and her husband, in the same accident, had broken his back. So um, some local people from their church, there were two young girls, and they put on an audio tape, every healing scripture they could find in the New Testament. And they asked permission when they went into the hospital to put earphones on her head. And every time she was listening to these healing scriptures, she had brainwaves. Every time they needed to wash her or turn her over and they took the earphones off, she had flat brainwaves. And the doctor wrote in the notes, under no circumstances, remove the earphones. On the fifth day, by which time... The parents had come out from England because they'd been told they needed to switch off the life support machine. She sat bolt upright in bed. Her legs were still broken, but she was completely healed of <laughs> brain dead damage. Um, and I said to her, because um, she's given her testimony a few times, uh, can you remember when you were wearing the headphones what was going on? And she said, I just recall in my unconsciousness just saying over and over again the word Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So, again, God's word. We know it's more powerful than a two-edged sword. It penetrates bone and marrow. Um, in the New Testament, in Mark's gospel, Mark 1:14, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. 
And he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. And these two foundational words in seeing God's kingdom come are repent and believe. Our unbelief undermines God's word. And it's the opposite of faith. So if you think you know better than what God says in his word, you're undermining it. If you're changing it to suit your beliefs, you're undermining it. God's word is rock. It's absolute rock. And we have to believe what he says and let it go right into our spirits. I, this scripture always troubles me, Matthew thirteen fifty-eight, And he, that is Jesus, did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So if you've never asked God for faith, if you've never thought of faith as a gift, because it is, it's one of the spiritual gifts, it's like a muscle. You have to use it. Sandy Miller, my previous vicar that Tim and Joe will know, he used to say, well, of course, I've got faith to pray for colds because I know they'll always get better. I'm sorry, that is really not faith. Um, So the more you exercise faith, the more you will see God move. And there will be times when you will have your faith really tested. Just another short story. Um, A friend of mine, uh, her husband was unconscious in hospital with an unspecified disease. To this day, I don't know what it was. And another friend of mine um, who was passionate about praying for healing, uh, we asked permission from the wife if we could go into his hospital room. And she said yes. And we were allowed to pray through the whole of one night for him. And he'd been unconscious at that point for six weeks, but he wasn't saved. He was not a Christian, and that was the urgent prayer from the whole family. And at three in the morning, which is perhaps the darkest point of the night, I'll never forget it, he sat bolt upright in bed, eyes open, looking straight ahead of him, said three times, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you, lay down again, never woke up and died two weeks later. But I believe I'll see him in heaven. I believe all those prayers that we prayed for him for salvation were answered. I mean, how, again, how bizarre is that? I, I can't, you probably as a physio can't even work that out. Um, but all I know is it was very real, very real. Um, so that's all connected with unbelief and lack of faith. <laughs> um, Acts 14 verse 1 at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. So speaking out boldly comes with God's empowering spirit. But note in this passage that despite the Jews' unbelief, the disciples actually moved in and spent considerable time there. I love the word in that passage, so. Despite the Jews poisoning the Gentiles' minds, fear, complacency and passivity did not hold them back. They spoke out boldly. And that's why we all need daily to be filled with God's Spirit. As we yearn to live in fellowship and intimacy with the Holy Spirit, 
allowing his power to flow through us like a river, then it's, it's infectious. There's no doubt about it. I love being around enthusiastic Christians. I've got some friends who always know where the Spirit of God is powerfully at work. They're the first to hear of a revival here or there or anywhere. And they are the ones who've been teaching and training people in our healing rooms now for years to pray for healing. Um, Then Jesus called the 12 disciples in Luke 9, uh, where he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom and to heal the sick. So God gives you power and authority. Do you believe that? Yes. Good. Good. Then he sent out the 72 and told them the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. That verse was key in getting me out of my nursing career into starting a street ministry because I thought no one in the entire world had read that one verse in the Bible that the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. It's amazing. One verse that you give to someone can transform their lives and get them from A to B. And of course, he goes on in in, uh, Luke 9, Luke 10, sorry. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you, heal the sick. So we're told to heal the sick, not pray for the sick, heal the sick. And tell them the kingdom of God is near you. And then the the great commission in Matthew 28, when he um, sends the 11 disciples, went out from Galilee to the mountain, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you to do. So that's why I talked about obedience being absolutely key in this ministry. You are being obedient to what God, Jesus, has sent you to do. And of course, it's the cross that brings the resurrection power. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, says Paul. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So I want us to spend a few moments um, talking about some of the key aspects of when people come for prayer, the experiences they've had and seated here you will have all had as well and it's a a model you can pick up and use and it's something that I have used a a lot since I've learned about it um, because I learned through my own experience Uh, a few years ago I was um, in a very bad place I had had a a terrible time health wise I had a fractured um, friendship at work and um, I was ready to give everything up, everything. Um, and uh, some friends had been ministered to in this, this way that I'm going to explain, and I started to get help. I started to get prayer myself. And I realized, even though I've been a Christian for a long time, that out of the sense of injustice and pain in my own heart, that I had started to live out some sin responses to the hurt that I had received. And no one had ever told me before 
that even though you're the one who's been hurt, that if you start to live out these sin responses, that's where you need to do business yourself and repent and say sorry to God for your own response. Now, that was new to me. And you know something? As I started to repent of withdrawing from everything and just, you know, self-pity, just all this horrible stuff, I can say at the exact point that I started to do that, repent and also forgive this uh, particular individual, um, everything started to change. And at the end of um, this time of, of having this incredible prayer, which went over a few weeks, I literally felt I'd been born again, again. It was that good. Um, I'd been a Christian for a number of years, but you know, people had said to me, oh, Em, you need a sabbatical. But I didn't like me. I did not like living with me at that time. And if I'd had a sabbatical, I, I'm half Australian, I would have wanted to go to Australia, but I didn't have the energy, the emotional energy to even get on a plane to get to Australia to have a... And anyway, if I'd gone, I would have still had to live with me. And it's amazing, actually, how often people live out of hurt and out of pain. And the enemy just keeps people in that place. And that's why if you've been freed and you see other people going through it themselves, you want to give them the tools. So here's some tools. Um, First of all, I'm going to talk about the five, uh, uh, well, there are five five key points. First of all, um, it's going to happen to most of us. We will have these hurts and injustice. So first of all, you need to identify what is happening. So... That's recognizing, we'll call it the five R's, recognizing the issue. So let's say you're hurt. Someone's really hurt you. That's recognizing the issue. Then you need to radically forgive that person. And that requires brutal honesty about the injustice that you yourself received along with the accompanying wounds and consequences. You can't whitewash over it. It's real. We all suffer injustices. They are real. And um, we need to specify who we're going to forgive. Uh, It might be more than one person. And actually, you can even speak out the words, I forgive, if it's a grandfather, say, who has done something. Even if they're dead, you can say, I forgive them. There's something about releasing that person, even if they've died. And just to say, you'll never emotionally feel like forgiving, ever. It won't be a natural response. It's an act of obedience in exercising your will, which is why, as prayer enablers, if someone says they're really hurt, you don't go, oh, Lord, you know, oh, Lord, they're really hurt, Lord. Oh, Lord, just, you know, make them feel better, Lord. Amen. That's not going to do anything. That person needs to do the forgiving and to actually be released um, from uh, the wound. So you have repent, you've recognized the issue, you've repented, but then you need to receive God's forgiveness. And I think sometimes we, we don't pause at the point of the cross to thank God. That's the whole point he came. He came that we might be forgiven. And I remember once I was in a situation where um, I was praying for someone and I asked her just after she'd repented just to picture the cross and to picture where she was um, with Jesus. And she said, well, I can picture the cross, but it's on the top of a hill and then there's this long queue of people 
coming down the hill and I'm right at the back of the queue waiting to be forgiven. I thought, crumbs, that's not very helpful. So we prayed again and immediately God said to me, say to her, can't Jesus forgive everybody at the same time? (laughs) You You don't have to wait at the back of a queue to be forgiven. And so she was so relieved to think at that moment she could be forgiven rather than have to wait at the back of this long queue to get to the cross. So we recognize what's happening, we repent, and then we receive God's forgiveness. But then we need to renounce the stuff that, you know, the injustices, all the stuff that's been done to us, um, and resist it. Because it's amazing how once we've got a little wound, the enemy always comes back in through that same wound. So let's say it's self-pity. Guess what? The next time something happens and that little wound is, is, is sort of opened up a bit, in comes self-pity again. And you have to start saying, wait a minute, I recognize this. I'm not going to allow it. Um, but then because you and I are seated in Christ, you and I have the authority over the powers of darkness to say, no, I'm not going to let self-pity rage, anger, lust, whatever the sin might be, to continue to be part of my character because that's not a God-given character. I am going to resist the enemy and I'm going to rebuke him and command him to leave. And you need to teach people, particularly one of the key areas that I would say 75, 80% of people come forward for prayer is fear. Fear of failure, fear of whatever, fear of a... um, interview, whatever it might be. And if you don't give them the tools to deal with these issues themselves, you can pray with them here, but when they get home and it's dark and it's nighttime and the fear assails them again, if they haven't been taught what to do, then they'll come back to you next week saying, I'm still full of fear. Um, And then you need to recognize the importance of replacing what the issue was, let's call it fear, with the truth of God's word and get them to think of a scripture, which is the truth that sets us free, that they can replace the fear with. So what can you think of immediately? Yes, the word is truth, but counteract the fear. What what might you use? Yeah, perfect love costs out fear. Exactly. So you get them to speak it out. Thank you, Lord, that your perfect love casts out fear. Even as you say that, you feel better. So you need to get them to declare the truth. And remember that at each step of these five R's along the way, the Holy Spirit is available to empower you with his supernatural power. And it works. It really does work. There's absolutely no doubt about it that um, seeing people... Another example, um, just last week I was asked to go and see someone and um, they weren't sleeping. They had all these terrors at night. And um, we just went through a very simple prayer where she was recognizing what was going on and um, she needed to forgive someone and various things. And then she sent me an email two days later saying, I've just had two nights full sleep. Can you imagine? And it had been months of sleeplessness just through that simple prayer. 
I don't understand in the heavenly realms how God does it, but all I know is a supernatural transaction takes place. And going back to my bad, terrible time, particularly with the, this fractured uh, friendship, from the moment I forgave and I started to take responsibility for my own uh, sin responses, that relationship was started to heal. And now you would never know that ever been an issue. And at one stage I thought, I'll never, ever be able to be even near this person again, let alone in the same room, let alone whatever. So I'm speaking from absolute experience that God can heal anything. Should we have some Q&A? I could tell a few more stories, but... No, I'm just aware it's 10 to 4 and... Um... Oh, bless you. No, I think we've got... I, I said to him, there may be one or two, if you're involved with uh, Seth up to five, you might need to sneak away, but um, if not, I'd be great to pray. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any, any questions, things you want to just come back to? Uh, any on? Maybe she was speaking, she triggered something, but can I ask about that? No such thing as a silly question. I think you have to show them what the word says. Um, even the Lord's Prayer is very clear. Um, forgive as we are forgiven. And, you know, when I was a young Christian, it would have gone over my head as well. I think it's just having to repeat over and over again what, what the truth is in God's word. Um, and to say that there is power in what we do. Even as I've just said now, I have no understanding how God does this in the spiritual realm, but he does. But I think I've come to realize that um, as Christians, we can live so below what God wants for us because this is what is our norm. When actually, I believe we should all be living up here. And then... Our families would come to Christ, our work colleagues would come to Christ. I mean, there would be no stopping because everybody around us would be going, I want what you've got. And I, I think what the enemy does is make us complacent and makes us tired or gets us into sin, which then causes us not to want to come to church or to pray. And, you know, it's all of that. So it, it, it's, it's tough being a Christian. It's tough staying on track. It's, but that's why we need accountability. I mean... Someone I prayed for this morning, been in our church six years, hasn't got a prayer partner, not in a connect group. I, I went, what? You know, huge issue. She's trying to do Christianity on her own. And I said to her, we are a body. We live in a body. If one part of us is hurting, the rest, the body hurts. And, you know, in a congregation, um, when you're family, you know, it's so important to have that sense of helping each other, iron sharpens iron, you know, keeping each other going. Life is tough. 
The world we live in is tough. It's going to get tougher. That's what we've got to know, the word of God, like never before. We're going to be led astray by the evil one. <laughs> not you. <laughs> it's not, it won't be stupid. It will be what everyone needs to hear the answer to. I think you don't, you're not prescriptive because as God does his part, things start to change. I don't think we can say to someone, you know, this is now how you should behave. Because as long as they're doing the forgiving, God does the rest. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah. healed well I think yes oh yes um, when yes <laughs> you would ask me to repeat, remember to repeat the question when I'm ready to answer it and, and yet I can't remember the question fully but um, <laughs> would you <laughs> come and speak do you ask God, yeah. do you ask God to heal do you ask God to heal no basically often Jesus when he was healing people just said two words be healed be open get up, whatever. And I think um, we invite the Holy Spirit. Yes, come Holy Spirit, because we can't do anything. But then I'll say, pain be gone. I'll command the pain to go, or I'll say, be healed in the name of Jesus. And I might appropriate uh, scripture alongside the instruction, as it were. Um, but we don't have to go into full anatomy and physiology and you know, blood vessels and... Connect group, you know, connections and everything because Jesus knows all that I think the shorter our prayers often the more effective does that answer your question and I'll try and think yeah just a quick one um, how do we try not to get discouraged if we get up and come up against things where there is an immediate yeah how do we good yes the disciples praying for the person yes Yes. How do we not get discouraged when we don't see results? So one short example, I was on a mission. Um, there was a word of knowledge for someone with sciatica. A 72-year-old came forward for prayer. I was asked to pray with her. I asked her which leg she had the sciatica in, and she showed me. I asked permission to lay hands on her. I prayed. After a short while, I said, how's the sciatica? No difference. Um, prayed a bit more. No difference. So I said, I'm always... I always say keep one year in tune with the Holy Spirit and one year in tune with what the person's saying. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, ask her if she's prayed in tongues, if she prays in tongues, receive the gift of tongues. I remember having this conversation with God. She's 72, she's probably been a Christian for 50 years, I'm sure she does. Anyway, that's what God asked me to do. So she said, oh, I've always wanted to receive the gift. So I helped 
um, pray with her, uh, nothing happened. And I was bitterly disappointed because Sashika was still the same when we finished and she hadn't been praying in tongues. But we were there for the weekend. The next morning she came into church and she came up to me and she said, in the middle of the night, I sat up, bolt upright in bed beside my unbelieving husband, praying out loud in tongues for the first time. And he woke up saying, what on earth's going on? And I said, this is God, this is a spiritual gift. And she said, when I got out of bed this morning, my satika was completely gone. So we have to believe that even if we don't see results, something has happened. I prayed for five years. I had a healing group. I prayed every Sunday for a group of five people for five years. Two of those people died, um, and three of them are alive. <laughs> um, but two of them would say their gift is not the fact that they were fully healed, but that both of them were able to have children. And that was utterly miraculous in the midst of their issue. And one of them who died, I've just recently done a funeral of one of his friends who came to Christ because of this guy's faith, even though he was in a wheelchair. You you don't know how God does this, but our position is to pray, let God do his bit, but it may not be for us to see or quite how we thought the prayer might be answered. But we have to keep persisting. The enemy will always say, what's the point? What's the point? Particularly if it's a chronic illness. Um, and you have to keep saying no, because it might be that, that sense of immediately, you know, God at that point. So this morning's scripture um, we, we read in Queensgate Church was from Luke 13 about um, the woman that Jesus healed after 18 years crippled. And he saw her in the crowd and he went over to her and he prayed and she was healed. You just don't know what's going to happen. That's the fun of it all. That's why we have to keep doing it. <laughs> Good question, though. That's why we need to spur each other on, actually. Can I, can I ask, I mean, um, you've mentioned two or three times about a word of knowledge. Oh, yes. Can I ask, what, what, what is a word of knowledge? A word of knowledge is when God tells me something about you that I wouldn't have known about you unless God had told me. So I was in a prison set up once in a women's group, and I said to this girl, for instance, I was trying to explain, God might tell me that when you were age four, you had a serious accident on your bicycle. And then I gave a few more examples. And then I saw a little bit of nudging going on. And she put up her hand. She said, excuse me, miss, when I was four, I had a serious accident on my bicycle. But I could have looked at any of them, but I happened to look at her. But you know, it's when God literally gives you something that you wouldn't have known unless God showed you. And it can come in a number of different ways. It can come, some people say, literally see the word in their mind's eye. Some people hear the word in, in, their, in their ear as it were like a sort of, you know, audible voice. Um, sometimes it comes through uh, uh, another sort of picture or something. I remember once I was praying for someone and I just got the words John the Baptist. I thought, Lord, I'm praying for a woman and you want me to give her this word John the Baptist. Um, but I've learned if even if God gives you unusual words to offer them, you're only offering them. You're not saying, thus saith the Lord, because <laughs> you get it wrong. Um, so I offered this word and it turned out that she was going forward for ordination she'd seen the bishop that morning and the bishop had said to her you are going to have a John the Baptist type ministry leading many people to repentance and she's now the chaplain of Pentonville Prison so yeah and then another example uh, I had nursery rhyme Humpty Dumpty I thought oh lord if you have words they're meant to be sort of encouraging I went through the 
Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't. I thought, Lord, I can't give this. Anyway, it turned out that God was saying to her, you are, I'm giving you a ministry to broken people. So, you know, you just have to offer these words and see what God, because you don't know necessarily what the person is coming forward. She just wanted God to speak to her, and that's what I got. So, <laughs> yeah, and it's words that we can ask God to give us. All the gifts, we have to activate our wills. So that's why when I'm praying for people to receive the gift of tongues, I don't say, oh, Lord, give this person the gift of tongues. I get them to pray, Lord, please give me the gift of tongues. I want the gift of tongues. I am activating my will. Come, Holy Spirit. And then I say, I'll join in as God gives you the gift by faith. <laughs> Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. It's all about asking. Get the person involved in asking. question is how do you get help people who tend to come back to you wanting prayer all the time I think I would sort of challenge them saying well how are you getting on um, are you um, praying now with your connect group as well about this issue you know are you learning to, to do a bit of bible study on, on the things that we've been praying about you know just slightly hand them back the issue so that they realize that you haven't got necessarily the answers but they might eat, equally need more, more help through counsel or you know, special prayer like that. But you should never feel burdened um, by the person because if you start to feel burdened, that's probably indicative that they are you know, putting too much on you. No, nope, no. Nope. Be good to do some come Holy Spirit, would it? Oh, fantastic. I was just going to say, yeah. do you want to just turn yeah. your... Um, <laughs> turn it off. Well, just want to show our appreciation for... Uh, <laughs>